Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. So they're really doubling down on trying to hide Joe Biden. They're not just sticking him in the basement now. I think they want to stick him in like a cave underneath the basement behind a locked door with like bolts and deadbolts to make sure he can't get out. Um, the evidence is growing every day. The media is in a panic here, which you would think the disinterested media would be interested in getting more information vis-a-vis a debate, right? No, no, no. <laughs> That's what actual media people do. I got that. I've got an interesting behind the scenes kind of take from some of my police officer friends about what's really going on on the streets of New York and why there's been this explosion in shootings. Interesting. I think you can enjoy that one or not enjoy that one, if you know what I mean. The information's really terrible. And I want, there's this argument breaking out over where the Steele dossier came from. I think it's misguided. I want to show you something interesting. I talked about a long time ago, the one viral, a speech I made. And this is going to be interesting. Don't go anywhere. The movie script. Some of you are like, I remember the movie script. I know Joe does, but we'll get to that. Today's show brought to you by ExpressVPN. Go get yourself a VPN today and protect your online data from prying eyes. Where do you get it? Go to expressvpn.com slash Bongino. Don't wait. Welcome to the Dan Bongino Show. Producer Joe, how are you today? Well, as usual, I'm doing very well in the middle of a huge rainstorm. Yeah, yeah. Here in Pasadena, yeah, I, Maryland. I know. If we lose Joe during the show, yes. Joe's going to a monsoon up there in Maryland. Uh, we will, uh, we'll just pretend he's there. Well, then, well I'll good. do a grunt for her. <laughs> there you go. It's Joe grunting. I don't know what's going on by here. So if you hear a grunt that doesn't sound like Joe, it probably isn't. It's probably me doing a fake joke. Grunt. All right, let's get right to it. Got a loaded show right, today. Brother. Today's show brought to you by our friends at Cryo-Free CBD. Omax Cryo-Free CBD. Listen, living life in pain is the worst. Believe me, I know. It's more than feeling discomfort. It can affect your mood, your sleep, your energy levels. You just feel terrible. I have arthritis. It's really bad. Prevents me from sleeping a lot. And it's just really kind of driving me crazy, to be honest with you. It prevents me from exercising too sometimes in the way I want to. Whether it's arthritis, foot pain, or aching joints, I can relate. It's no secret that I'm a huge fan of cryo-free CBD roll-on developed by Omax Health. We use it all the time. We go through bottles of it here. My wife loves it. My mother-in-law uses it. We use it. I use it on my shoulder, especially after a tough workout. Now you're going to want to listen up because Omax just released a new cryo-freeze foot relief spray. There it is right there. And this product is going to blow your mind. It's ideal for reviving tired feet and legs after physical training, a really bad day at work, or a long day on the golf course. This foot spray incorporates hemp-derived CBD, and it adds botanicals such as peppermint, rosemary, tea tree, and aloe that cools quickly, rejuvenates quickly, and revives those hot and inflamed legs and feet. There's zero THC and no high. If you've been anxious to try Omax CryoFreeze but haven't yet, try it. We swear by it in this household. This stuff really works. Now's the time. Omax is offering my listeners an exclusive 20% off discount on their CryoFreeze CBD Ultimate Recovery Bundle. This is a curated collection of my personal favorites, including the CBD Pain Relief Roll-On, the Sports Recovery Cream, the Rapid Relief CBD Drops, and the new foot relief spray. Check it out. Just go to omaxhealth.com slash Dan today to get 20% off this exclusive bundle. It's only available for my listeners. That's omaxhealth.com slash Dan. Get 20% off the cryo-free CBD ultimate recovery bundle. You don't want to miss this opportunity to try all of my favorite cryo-freeze products. Again, omaxhealth.com slash Dan. Go today. Check it out. All right, Joe, let's go. Ding, ding. So just quickly to follow up on a story we did yesterday before I get into meat and potatoes of the show. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I again, my sources are spot on. I have never let you down on sources. 
whether it was Spygate or the Clinton-Epstein debacle, the sources have been solid. Their information has been vigorous, robust, tested, and has proven time and time again to be legit. My sources are telling me Joe Biden's losing it. I said that yesterday. The show performed exceptionally well because I titled it What You Really Need to Know About Joe Biden. Folks, I can't tell you who to vote for. It's a secret ballot in a free society. Thank the Lord, and I'm not using his name in vain for that. Thank the Lord we're a free society. I'm just telling you, if you're casting your vote for Joe Biden, you're about to vote for a man who is losing his attachment to reality by the moment. I'm not kidding. I say that with no ill will. I say that with no celebratory tone that would be sick and deranged. I say that because people, sources, are telling me he's not there. He's not there, and it's getting worse on an increasingly, it's not reaching an asymptote. It's getting worse fast. He's not attached to reality. Here's what's worse about this story. Like it gets worse. It always gets worse. What's worse about this story, ladies and gentlemen, is the media knows this and absolutely refuses to report on it. Not only are they refusing to report on his increasingly worsening cognitive decline, and is lessening attachment to reality. They're covering up for it. And this is the worst part about this whole story. They're not only covering it up, they don't want you to see it. Yep. That's the worst part, Joe. And where would you see it? Where would the most, the largest number of people, where would they see firsthand the rapidly, sadly, I mean that. I don't wish ill will on anybody. Politics is politics. I'm not going to lose my moral spine to win an election. I don't wish ill will on anybody. But where would the most number of people, the largest group of people see Joe Biden's rapidly deteriorating situation? The answer is obvious. Yep. The verdict is in the debates. Debate, yeah. Which will be watched by tens of millions. I said to you yesterday, Democrats are ducking the debates now and their media activists, liberal allies inside the mainstream media, which is no longer mainstream. They're all radicals now are now covering. Hat tip the Reagan battalion account on social media. Here's what they put out yesterday. Here's a montage of media people trying to cover up for the fact that they don't want Biden on the debate stage now because you're all going to see what I just told you. New York Times, let's scrap the presidential debates. CNN, political analyst makes plea for Biden not to debate Trump. Here's another one by Peter Lucas. Biden better walk back any offers to debate Trump. Newsweek, supporters urge Joe Biden not to debate Trump. Applaud hosts for canceling over COVID-19 returns. Folks, again, the media is, is, is a disgrace in this country. They're a disgrace. I'm all about the free press, all about period, full stop, no caveats. As long as you don't break the law and threaten someone free, you are free to write what you want. As I say often, with that freedom, I respect you are free to be stupid. You take us up on that opportunity every single time. Pitching us the PP hoax and all that other stuff. You're just a bunch of discredited losers. Like nobody really tried. You understand that, right? I showed you that Axios Harris poll last week. Remember that one, Joe? The media during the COVID-19 crisis, the coronavirus crisis. Mm -hmm. The media is only one of two entities that has lost more trust in the mm -hmm. coronavirus crisis. The media and the airlines. Right. Nobody trusts you. You're what you have one job, one, just one. Get people the facts so they can make informed decisions. You can't even do that right. These are literally some of the dumbest people on the planet. You have one job. If you're a gavel maker, 
This thing has really stood the test of time, is it not, Joe? We get a lot of things people send us. This sucker's been around forever. From gavel person who sent us this. I'm sorry, I forget. Was it Karen or something? I don't know. But this thing, if your one job is to make gavels and you hit the gavel and the gavel falls apart, you failed. Your gavel sucks. Your one job in the media is to tell people the facts and you can't even do that right. Nobody believes you. They don't believe you. You're a joke. That's why shows like this have exploded in popularity. Exploded in popularity. Because people know they're not being lied to. And if we get something wrong, we actually correct it. Unlike the collusion hoaxers who have yet to apologize for lying to America. Now, showing you again how this situation, ladies and gentlemen, is getting dramatically worse by the minute. Speaking again about Joe Biden and his cognitive decline. Again, this is, nobody should get any enjoyment at it. I know you don't. But you need to see this. You're about to vote for a man who's going to take hold of the nuclear codes who has no grasp on reality at all. Here is Joe Biden again, clip number 6,426, losing his attachment whatsoever with reality during an interview. And I want you to listen for the trick here. Here's what Biden does. Biden frequently loses his attachment to what he's thinking about, his train of thought. He loses it. And when he forgets what he's talking about, did you notice this, show? He always calls it the thing. Yeah. Remember that yeah. clip before he's talking about the Constitution and the that, Bill of Rights? And he's yeah, like, the thing. you know, yeah. the, the, the thing, the thing. He forgets mid-sentence, mid-sentence, sentence, mid-sentence. He forgets what he's talking about mid-sentence and he calls it the thing. Watch him do it again here. Listen for the thing. Check this out. You know, there's a, uh, during World War Two, uh, you know, where Roosevelt came up with a thing uh, that uh, you know was totally different than a than the, the it's called he called it the you know the World War Two he had the war the, the war production board. My guess is someone's either talking in his ear or has some kind of like signs behind. I'm, I'm not kidding. To remind, he clearly doesn't know what he's talking about. The war production he loses it mid mid sentence. He introduces what he's going to talk about. Roosevelt did this thing. He forgets the name of it mid-sentence. My guess is someone's either talking in his ear, folks, or somebody's reminding him on a cue card or something what the name of it is, and he calls it the thing until they can come up with it. Folks, again, this isn't just one thing. Every candidate, Trump included me when I was on the campaign, everybody makes faux pas. You say things you want to take back. You're tired. Campaigns are really exhausting. They are, even from your basement. If you're, if you're doing 20, 30 interviews a day from your basement, which he's not, but I'm not trying to make excuses for the man. I'm just trying to give you an honest assessment, unlike the media will, of what's actually going on. People make mistakes. It's not that Biden makes mistakes. It's that he makes them, there's not an, not an interview I've seen, literally, not figuratively, not an interview I've seen with Biden of any substance where he doesn't say something so ridiculous or lose his grasp on reality, where you should all be wondering right now what the heck is going on. I just want to highlight quick, this is my election block here because it's important. We do have an election coming up. You know, Red State's got an article up too. These polls are tightening up, folks. I think people are becoming increasingly uncomfortable with Joe Biden as a presidential candidate right now. I, I think they're really starting to understand that some of them who don't like, you have the, the pro-Trump crowd, we're obviously going to vote for Trump. Me include, we get that. My wife, you know, Joe, everybody gets that, right? Then you have the people in the middle who I think are starting to realize Biden's just not there. 
He's just not there. Then you have the anti-Trump crowd who are going to vote for Biden no matter what. But I think the people in the middle are starting to realize, and you can see it in Trump's approval ratings going up, that even if they don't like Trump's personality, the bravado, the persona, the machismo kind of thing, you see in the red state piece, his approval ratings going up anyway because Biden, they, they just can't trust him. This piece is up in the show notes today uh, by Nick, uh, what's his last name? Adams? Uh, Trump approval soaring, voter enthusiasm outstripping that of Biden supporters. You're seeing that now. And interestingly enough, Trump's approval by Rasmussen right now is 51%, which is good. Obama's at the same time, Joe, is 44%. So if you're going to tell me like, oh, Trump, mm. is this, it's, it's over, it's all, folks, hard pass. I'm not predicting anything at this point. I'm staying out of the predictions game. I'm simply telling you any of these apocalyptic predictions that Trump is doomed, he has no chance of winning, are just absurd. You can sideline all those. All right, let me move on because I've got a lot of material to cover today, including some stuff from yesterday I didn't get to. So- as you know, I maintain a pretty good network of sources in law enforcement, federal, local, state, and elsewhere, and some people who I met as a byproduct of doing the show. They show up at book signings, whatever they may be. I mean, how I met 279, you know, 279, I met through, you know, correspondences, let's say. And having a show and having an audience, people reach out to me. I get a lot of emails. So we, you know, we vet them, of course, make sure they're for real from police officers and otherwise. And some of my contacts have been giving me the inside scoop about what's happening on the street. I mentioned this on Hannity last night. I do Sean Hannity's show at night on Fox. By the way, Sean Hannity will be a guest on the show. We will have an interview show this week. It will be Sean Hannity. He teased it last night. Don't miss it. We're either going to launch it Friday or Saturday. Thanks for listening to the Gutfeld interview, too. We're going to talk about his new book, Sean. Live Free or Die. Really good. Reading it now. Got getting through that, so don't miss that. But I mentioned last night the real street situation. Why are shootings and homicides exploding? And paradoxically, why are they exploding, shootings and homicides? But why are other crime categories, even some violent crimes, down? Down? That doesn't make sense, Dan. We've heard liberal cities are exploding in, with crime. They are. The worst crime of all, Joe, shootings and homicides. Can't come back from that one. No. You're dead. That's the end of it. But other categories of crimes, even violent crimes, have been going down. That doesn't seem, doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Let's go through this one by one. First, what's really going on and why are shootings and homicides up? And to be crystal clear, because we do facts here, up dramatically in liberal-run cities. And so we're defining our variables correctly, unlike mainstream media loons who love to lie to you. When I say liberal cities, I'm discussing cities here, Chicago and New York, that are monopolistically run by liberals. Their city councils, their city governance boards, their city commissions, their mayors are all liberals, super majorities. Chicago, New York, you understand? Republicans have almost no power. Almost none. They can't filibuster things. They have no majorities. You get what I'm saying? So when we talk about the explosion in shootings and homicides in liberal-run cities, that's, I'm defining the variable precisely, unlike media lunatics who never give you precise definitions. And when I say exploding, I'm talking specifically about Chicago and New York. What's going on? Well, here's what my contacts are telling me. It's, it's what I called last night the two Gs. Don't forget this. It's gangs and kids on the street with grievances that have had these grievances for a long time. Now, when I say kids and adults on the street, too, who are, have grievances, I'm, not, I'm talking about 
sociopaths here. I'm not talking about like Joe and I have a grievance over a show where Joe made an edit. I'm like, yeah, Joe, what are you in a bad edit? That stinks. Joe and I are civil, civilized folks who we're not going to, Joe, I'd like to challenge you to a Hamilton bird duel in uh, New Jersey on a cliff. Joe and I are going to do that. We're grown adults. We're going to talk it out. Paula was mad at me last Friday. Do you think we work things out because it's me and Paula? I even said it on the Gutfeld show. It became kind of a long time. And the, inter- the interview show went totally off the rails at one point. So hilarious. But we're adults. That's not what some of these criminal, these criminal, this criminal element in the street, when they have grievances, Joe, a lot of times it turns deadly. Yeah. So I'll get to the gangs thing in a minute. But you may say, well, if they've had these grievances for a long time, why are shootings and homicides spiking right now? You just said they've had these grievances for a while. Well, let's dig a little deeper. This is for my law enforcement friends. These sociopaths in the street, drug lords, whatever they are, hate each other, who would have whacked each other sooner, weren't doing so years ago in many cases. Number one, because a lot of them were already in jail. Deep analysis, right, Joe? <laughs> Credible. I'm, I'm, I'm being sarcastic here because, sure. one, what I just told you is true. But, two, it doesn't require a deep analysis. When Rudy Giuliani and even Mike Bloomberg, who continue, who was the mayor of New York City, both two mayors of New York City, and even Bloomberg, who continued some of Rudy Giuliani's policing broken windows policies, they aggressively policed the city. Again, I don't mean aggressive physically, like they were hunting people down. I mean aggressive in that they enforced the law. If you were a drug dealer on the corner and you got caught with an open container, an open container of liquor, you're not allowed to drink in the streets in New York. I'm not debating whether that's a good or bad. I'm just telling you what is, okay? Unlike the media, you would probably get a C summons. And if the cop was going to write a summons, he would give you a, a pat down around your waist to make sure you didn't have a gun. You wouldn't shoot him while he was writing a summons. That's You were allowed to do that. Well, when we started doing that in New York City, People got caught urinating in public, open container, disorderly conduct, and they got patted down. A lot of those guns with these people who had grievances got taken off the street because the guy who was going to be arrested for an open container was now arrested for what? Uh, 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 criminal possession of a firearm. The Giuliani era doubled down by giving, you know, there were basically mandatory sentences for a lot of these people as well. So the word got out in the street with these sociopaths with grievances and fights with their beefs with their other, you know, drug dealers and other people in the neighborhood. The word got out, don't carry a gun in the street. These guys will toss you, frisk you for, you know, open containers or disorderly conduct. You're going to go to jail for a year. Ladies and gentlemen, criminals talk. They're not stupid. They have criminal enterprises they have to run to. They're not dumb. They're not. They know what they're doing. Some of them would actually be pretty good business people if they get out of the criminal business. Word got around in New York. Don't carry a gun. So what did they do? I remember this when I was a cop. They'd sit in groups and, you know, they still wanted protection. So they'd keep the gun and they put it like in a paper bag and store it on a bench next to them. So we learned as cops again to go and look at the scene, too. Now, everyone would say, that's ah, not my gun. You couldn't arrest anyone for it, but at least you got the gun off the street if you saw it. You get what I'm saying? Oh, it's not yours? Okay, we're just going to voucher this. We're going to inventory it. Right, right. You see what I'm saying? Word got around. Criminals are not stupid, folks. They're maintaining their enterprises too. They're illegal, but they're doing it. Nobody's doing that anymore. 
They're not tossing people. They're not frisking people. That's a cop term for frisking. They're not frisking people for disorderly conduct. They're not frisking people for drug possession. They're not doing any of that. So guys are like, hey, might as well just carry our guns again. And then when the guy who had the grievance against the guy, I don't mean to get too complicated here, finds out his buddy's carrying a gun, he don't want to get whacked. So he carries his gun too. And then they see each other and it's the Wild West. Boom, ba boom, 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 ba boom, boom, boom. This is what it is. It's a Wild West. It's an old Clint Eastwood movie. And then the other guy hears the other guy got shot. He's like, I'm not getting shot. I'm going to get my gun too. This is what, it, folks, none of this is complicated to understand. You have people with long standing street grievances, drug fights, turf wars, whatever they may be. Combine that with rival gangs who've hated each other forever, who now get word amongst the street grievance crowd that, hey, you carry a gun, you're not going to get locked up. And they're shooting each other up. So we're going to shoot up each other too. This is not hard to figure out. Criminals talk. So that's element number one. Why are shootings and homicides up? Because people have no fear of being arrested for carrying guns anymore. The grievances they've had in the past are now turning into gunfights, not grievances. And gangs are taking notes. Oh, yeah, nobody's getting pinched for gun possession. We might as well carry ours. We're the toughest gang in town. We'll show you. I want to be like the, the cowboys from Tombstone or something. Now, second part. This is a real paradox for people to figure out. Why, is, why are other categories of crime down, in some cases down dramatically? Burglaries, many cases street robberies, but shootings and violent crimes. Right? If these liberal cities are becoming violent, Wild West-like towns, which they are, by the way, why are other violent crimes down? I said this on Sean, so if you listen, you're probably getting a sneak peek ahead, but I'll tell you again. Folks, the economies in these largely liberal-run cities, Chicago, and New York, to be fair, as a result of coronavirus, and all, it's not just simply the liberal policy. This has a lot to do with it, but a lot to do with the coronavirus misinformed, dopey lockdowns too. The economies are so bad, nobody's coming into the cities. So what's the problem, Joe? There's no one to mug. There's right. nobody on the streets. Who are you going to mug? Who are you going to mug the pigeons? There's nobody there. Now, why would burglaries be down? I asked Paula last night. Went into bed. She was almost trying to sleep, whatever. I said, why do you think? She figured it out right away. She's smart. She said, because people are home all the time. They're not going to work. So burglaries are down too. Don't get, why am I telling you any of this? Because I watched um, Marie Harf, I think it was, on Fox yesterday. And I see a lot of these liberal commentators. They do the same thing. Ladies and gentlemen, I talked about it yesterday in relationship to unemployment benefit. And this study that's a scam, you have to learn to pick apart liberal narratives piece by piece. Their new narrative about exploding crimes in largely liberal cities, shootings and homicides, which is very real. There are dead bodies to prove it. Their new narrative is, well, other categories of crimes are down. Yeah, that's because the economies are so bad that there's nobody there to rob. That's not a marker of success. Please, the verdict is in. Please stop saying that. That sounds really dumb. There's nobody to mug and burglaries are down because everybody's home. There's no empty house to burglarize. And one of the other arguments they're making, which of course takes an element of truth, Joe, and fabricates and weaves a fantastic narrative from it that's not true. You have to learn to parse this too. The other narrative I've heard them say, the liberal talking heads on television, 
is, well, violent crime and shootings and shootings in many cases and homicides are up in some cities with Republican mayors, too. They're not wrong. There are cities with Republican mayors out there that have seen a blip in shootings. Tulsa, Jacksonville with Lenny Curry and the mayor of Tulsa is a Republican, too. But again, folks, you have to parse it and see what they're doing. They're trying to distract you. Those shootings are up. And in some cases, homicides are up. But they are up by maybe 10, 15%. Cities run by Democrats, they're up 25% or more in many cases in, in New York and Chicago, in some cases, triple digits when it comes to shootings. So again, your point is what? That yes, there's shootings and homicides have spiked in, in Republican cities, but far more in Democrats. That's your point to defend the Democrats? I'm unsure where you're going with this. I'm, 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 I'm missing your point here. Of course I'm missing because you don't have one. You have to learn to parse through their nonsense. And ladies and gentlemen, it's always, always nonsense. All right, let me get to my second sponsor. I want to get to the, Joe, remember the movie script? It's back. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good. Okay. The movie script is back. What's the movie script? Why does it relate to Spygate? I'll just tease it before I get to our second sponsor here. But ladies and gentlemen, the plot to take down Trump started in 2007. 2007? That's not even possible. Now hear me out. We'll get to it. All right. Today's show also brought to you by friends at We the People. Got one here. This is one of the different ones. I usually show you the Constitution holster. But sometimes I like this one. This is more simple. This is black. Simpler look, but still the same precision mold. A fantastic top of the line um, inside the waistband holster. You're going to love it. Listen, if COVID wasn't warning enough, the last few weeks have reminded us all why there's a Second Amendment. You don't want these defunding the police nonsense. You might be the only one there to defend yourself in some of these places. That's why you need to be properly trained with a firearm and you need a top of the line precision fit holster. And we like here and I like and I carry, I use We The People holster. Starting at just $39, We The People holsters are custom designed to fit your firearm perfectly. Look at that. That's a precision mold. You can look right through it. Fit to your firearm perfectly. It's not some one size fits all where the firearm is going to be bouncing all over the place. God forbid and it falls out. It's made right here in the USA. It's not made in the Chaz. It's not made in the Chop. Made in the great old USA. They have thousands of options to choose from, plus an amazing selection of printed holsters. I usually show you the Constitution one, but I have this one too. I like this one. Um, sometimes I like the black because it fits in with the, you know, either the color pad somewhere or whatever it may be. Their proprietary clip design you'll see on the back allows you to adjust the cant and the ride so it's comfortable. Not like, again, those others inside the waistbands rubbing up against that hip bone. You're like, ugh, get this thing out of here. Support American companies. Go to wethepeopleholsters.com slash Dan. Get yours today. Don't wait. Can't beat the prices either. Every holster ships free. Comes with a lifetime guarantee. You get an additional $10 off with the offer code Dan. Come on. $10 off extra with offer code Dan. You can't beat that. Satisfaction's guaranteed. Not a perfect fit? Send it back for a total refund. Go to wethepeopleholsters.com slash Dan. That's wethepeopleholsters.com slash Dan. Go today. Pick yours up. You're going to love it. Check them out. All right. So some of my older listeners, I mean, older chronologically in your age, I mean, older than that you've been here a long time, know that I, I love the Spygate story, but I only talk about it when I feel like I have something to say, because then I feel like I'm trying to sell you too much on something, and I don't want to do that. But the spying scandal on President Trump is the biggest political scandal of our time. There is not even a close second. It's very simple. Obama, Hillary, and a bunch of political operatives they paid spied on the president and got the FBI to basically open criminal cases against their political opponents. It's no more complicated than that. 
But I want to bring this up today because some of the high quality sources I rely on and who were cited in my next book coming out, Follow the Money, where I address, by the way, extensively some of the things you're going to see here, especially the George Soros connection, which I haven't even mentioned yet. It's in my book. It's, it's like the whole first two chapters of my book. One of the arguments breaking out is, okay, if all this stuff was fake, right? The dossier was fake and they used it to spy on Trump. Well, where did it come from? I, I, it's a great argument to have. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not downplaying the, the terrific social media researchers and really important people who've used social media to investigate that question. I'm simply suggesting to you that in the end, for the bigger you know, story, it doesn't really matter. What matters is the information was fake. The Obama administration knew it. The FBI knew it. Hillary Clinton knew it. And they used it to spy on Trump anyway. But if we're going to get into that debate about who exactly made up the PP tape stuff and where exactly did this Russian collusion hoax originate, I want to make sure I can go back to this because this is covered in my second book on this topic, Exonerated, and my next book, Follow the Money, where I talk about the Soros connection I'm going to get to in a minute. I want to go back to this 2007, 2007 article by Glenn Simpson. Glenn Simpson's company, Fusion GPS, is the company that put its stamp on the dossier. They were paid to produce the dossier. They paid a British spy to write this dossier. Glenn Simpson, as we can see here, used to be a reporter. Really? Yes. With his wife, Mary Jacoby, for the Wall Street Journal. Here's this article from 2007 I call the movie script. How lobbyists help ex-Soviets woo Washington. Back in 2007, the guy Hillary paid to grab the dossier and get it out there was writing articles about how Russians are trying to woo people in Washington? Yes, yes. Ladies and gentlemen, if you compare Christopher Steele's dossier, who worked with Simpson on it, the PP tape stuff, the fake stuff, if you compare it to this article in 2007 that Glenn Simpson and his wife wrote, you're going to be like, my gosh, it sounds like it's almost the same thing. That's why I call this 2007 article from the, in the Wall Street Journal by Simpson the movie script. The movie script to take down Trump, ladies and gentlemen, was already written. Matter of fact, they tried the same tactic on John McCain when he ran for president. Oh, you didn't know that? Yeah, yeah, that's in my book too. You don't remember the John McCain Russian collusion scandal? Yeah, nobody else does either. It happened. Nobody else remembers it because George Bush was president when John McCain was running against Obama and Bush's team didn't allow it to go anywhere. The Obama team allowed the FBI to be used. You get it? You dig? Here's where this whole dossier, PP tape, Russian collusion thing starts. Starts right back in 2007. Let me lay out for you bit by bit. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you how the same exact cast of characters appear in 2007 by Glenn Simpson. Remember, he's the one paid to produce the dossier. But Simpson has always said, no, no, Christopher Steele did it. We paid him and he had this network of sources, blah, blah, blah. It's all garbage. It's all garbage. This was Simpson's story from the start. Look, let's go to screenshot one from the movie script, the Wall Street Journal piece. Again, this is from 2007. They're talking about in this piece, this guy, uh, Leonid Riemann. Riemann is under federal investigation in the U.S. over money laundering and is locked in a high stakes battle with Moscow conglomerate Alpha for control of a Russian telecommunications empire. Alpha, blah, blah, blah. Why does this matter? So in 2007, Glenn Simpson, same guy, who's running this whole dossier operation back in 2007 is talking about this alpha financial bank place. Alpha, alpha, where do they appear again? 
totally weird. They appear in Christopher Steele's dossier. Alpha 2007, back in the PP dossier. Here's an article by National Review by Tobias. I can never pronounce his last name, but that's okay. He does good stuff. These articles, by the way, will be in the show notes today. Bongino.com slash newsletter. Read them. They're older, but they're worth your time. Bongino.com slash newsletter. Subscribe to the newsletter. That is the show. Here, Mr. Tobias. Steele claims Clinton lawyer provided a tip about Trump campaign contacts with a Russian bank. So Christopher Steele, who's working with Simpson, the same guy who wrote about Alpha Bank in 2007, got a tip about a bank, no way that bank would be Alpha, from the Democrats at the DNC and the lawyers they hired who were working with Simpson? No way! Well, let's go to the National Review piece. Yes, way. So Steele claimed in a deposition that his infamous dossier that the founders of Alpha Bank, oh my gosh, same Alpha from that 2007 article, had illicit ties to Putin and acted as an undercover messaging channel between the Kremlin and the Trump organization. Ha! He said under questioning from the lawyer of the bank owners who sued him for defamation that he revealed on July 29, 2016, this is Christopher Steele, that he was told of the story by Perkins Coie lawyer. These are the Democrat lawyers there. And former DOJ official Michael Sussman, who we know is meeting with the FBI. Don't get too lost in the deets here, folks, because the deets don't matter. They don't in this case. What really matters is Back in 2007, Christopher uh, Glenn Simpson, excuse me, was writing about Alpha Bank. Alpha Bank magically appears in a dossier years later to target Trump. And Steele says he heard the information from lawyers working with Simpson. This gets even better. Look at this second screenshot from National Review where, where Simpson gives Steele instructions. He gives him very specific instructions and says... He said, I want you to absolutely link it to this server issue, the Alpha Bank server issue. Steele then admitted, this is in a court deposition, that Fusion GPS founder Glenn Simpson, again, the guy who wrote the Wall Street Journal piece in 2007 about Alpha, asked him after the meeting, the meeting about Alpha with the Democrat lawyers, to write up a memo that was, quote, absolutely and definitely linked to the Alpha, the server issue involving Alpha. (laughs) This is hilarious. Ladies and gentlemen, Simpson had this movie script in his hand the whole time. They just erased the names and put Trump in there. Alpha Bank. Oh, I've been working on them since 2007. Hey, I think we can connect them to the Trump team and a server in the Trump Tower and Alpha Bank. Is there any real connection? No, no, it's all made up. But Steele, go talk to the Democrats. They'll tell you more about it. And then write a memo absolutely linking them to Alpha. Again, Simpson made this up. I thought it was called the Steele dossier. No, it's the Simpson Steele Halper dossier. They all had a role in it. You don't think this story started in 2007? Like, all right, Dan, Alpha Bank appears in Glenn's article, Glenn Simpson's article appears in the dossier stuff. There's got to be. That, 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 that's weak. Oh, no, 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 there's more. No, there's more. Stand down. Stand easy, as they said in the academy. Stand easy. Here's a movie script, Wall Street Journal 2007 screenshot number two. <laughs> Crazy, Joe. Who appears here? Paul Manafort, back oh. in 2007. 2007? No way. Yes, way. Yes, Wayski. Paul Manafort, a former advisor to Mr. Dole's presidential campaign, has advised the Ukrainian metals billionaire and close political ally, Viktor Yanukovych, who favors closer ties with the Putin administration. So just to be clear, back in 2007, 13 years ago, Glenn Simpson of Fusion GPS, who pays Christopher Steele, is writing an article. He's really concerned about Paul Manafort's ties to Russia. 
This is 2007. Manafort then magically appears in the Trump campaign. Eh, weird. And then what happens? Manafort all of a sudden becomes a target of an FBI investigation based on a fake black ledger of payments allegedly made to Manafort. Oh, you don't believe me? Check out this article by John Solomon when he was over at the Hill before the Hill went crazy. John Solomon, the Hill. FBI warned early and often that the Manafort file might be a fake. It used it anyway. So just to be clear, for everyone, and listen, debate away. I read all your stuff. You guys are all great. For everyone debating, did the information start with Steele, Danchenko, Olga, all these people, all good questions. I'm going to throw out to you that the large majority of the fake PP dossier was a story Christopher Simpson wrote in 2007. All of the players who reappear in the dossier against Trump. And if they reappear, they are targeted based on fake information like Manafort, where they produced magically a fake dossier uh, called the Black Ledger that appeared out of Ukraine. Look, we got to investigate Manafort. We've got this ledger of payments he was made. He didn't pay taxes on. It was all fake. It was all fake. It was all fake. Just like the Alpha Bank Trump Tower connection. Fake. But they needed fake information because they needed to go back to Christopher Simpson, uh, Glenn Simpson, excuse me, his movie script to make it a seem that it was real. Say, all right, Dan, Alpha appears in 2007, Manafort. You got anything else? I always do. Of course. This is a fascinating one. So back in 2007, Glenn Simpson writes in the Wall Street Journal about Oleg Deripaska, who has close ties to the Kremlin and emerged from the aluminum wars of the 90s with a virtual monopoly on the nation's aluminum production. Deripaska's long been dogged by allegations from rivals that he uses bribery, intimidation, and violence to amass his fortune. Oleg Deripaska. So we know back in 2007... Glenn Simpson's really interested in Alpha Bank. Alpha Bank appears in the dossier against Trump. Wow, crazy. Interested in Paul Manafort. Manafort appears in the dossier with Trump. Crazy, using fake information to target him. Now we know Deripaska's in that 2007 article. There's no way he reappears in the scheme to take down Trump and spy on him, right? Of course he reappears. Let's go to this Fox News article. Yeah, every single time. Fox News. Democrat Senator Mark Warner, who conveniently was on the Intelligence Committee targeting Trump, texted with a Russian oligarch lobbyist in an effort to contact the dossier author, Christopher Steele. Who's the Russian oligarch? No way, ladies and gentlemen. Yes way. It's Oleg Deripaska, who appears back in the 2007 movie script article by Glenn Simpson, paid by Hillary Clinton to gin up fake information on Donald Trump. Now, you may say, gosh, this can't get any worse. Ladies and gentlemen, as I say every day, it always gets worse. Always. <laughs> yeah. Everyone Glenn Simpson seems to be interested in his journalism career, if you want to call it that, back in 2007, seems to magically reappear in this fantastic pee tape story he writes again to target Donald Trump. He took the movie script, Simpson, attached fake information to real names, Christopher Steele, Danchenko, and others, and just had them rewrite a dossier. Steele tells you he was instructed by Simpson to put this stuff in there. Simpson wrote this stuff. Here's the last one from the movie script. There's actually more in there, but in the interest of time, I want to keep this short and sweet, this segment, because it's a good one. I want it to punch. 
So he also writes about, about this guy, Demetrio Fertash. He says, uh, he talks about his company, High Rock Holdings, controlled by Demetrio Fertash, a Ukrainian businessman who acknowledges the company's major shareholders, once included Mr. Mogledvich's wife. So back in 2007, again, Glenn Simpson has an unusual interest in this guy, Demetrio Fertesh. Here's where the case gets interesting and where the George Soros angle just kicks you right in the gut. So who is Demetrio Fertesh? Well, in short, Fertesh is a business rival of the infamous George Soros. You know, liberal billionaire mega donor who's got his tentacles and all kinds of things. Races in the United States, political action committees, liberal causes everywhere. Far left, anti-law and order, district attorneys, racist. Soros's money is everywhere. Fertash is an enemy of Soros. And it's interesting that Glenn Simpson has a real interest in Fertash in trying to take Fertash down. Soros have anything to do with that? You may say, well, that's an interesting angle. How does it relate to the dossier that appeared in all the anti-Trump conspiracy theories that appeared later on? Let's go to another article at the formerly excellent Hill, now a pile of trash. When John Solomon was still there, it was great. The Hill, U.S. Embassy pressed Ukraine to drop probe of George Soros during the 2016 election. You remember this story? This is fascinating. So Fertash, who Simpson writes about in the movie script, is an enemy of George Soros, a business a, a business rival of George Soros. Soros has a real interest in Fertash. It's not a good one. From that Hill piece, this is, gets really interesting. So there's a memo that was circulating, including a chart of the Ukrainians the Soros team wanted to have pursued, including some with ties to Manafort, who magically appears in the movie script too. Senior law enforcement officials confirmed to Solomon that the early kleptocracy collaborations inside Ukraine, listen to this, led to highly visible U.S. actions against the oligarch Dmitryo Fertash, a major target of the Soros group. Oh, oh boy. So just to be clear, back in 2007, Glenn Simpson, who was working on a dossier that I'm going to show you in a second, later on is funded by a Soros-related group. Glenn Simpson years ago had an interest in a Soros business rival who it's alleged by law enforcement contacts Solomon has Soros wanted prosecuted? Wanted the same guy Fertash prosecuted? Simpson, Fertash, Soros, Fertash, Fertash, Manafort. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a movie script. The whole thing was written in 2007. It was tried against McCain. It didn't work. It was just recycled garbage used to prosecute Trump later. The origin of these stories is clear. How much did Soros have to do with this? Again, the first two chapters of my book, my, it's coming out in October. You can pre-order it now. Follow the money. It's my best one yet are about this Soros angle that no one wants to talk about because they're afraid of the uh, lunatics at Media Matters. We, we don't care at all. And matter of fact, when they bring it up, it only encourages me to talk about it more and write more books. You can't talk about Soros. I'll talk about whatever I want. So George Soros' business opponent was a target of Glenn Simpson too as far back as 2007 and appeared on some not do not prosecute list, but a go and prosecute list. Go get this guy, Fertash, Soros' group. Wanted to, was that to take out a business rival? Does that have anything to do with Glenn Simpson's interest in Fertash? I'm just checking. I'm just asking the question. Is that, is that okay? Are we, allowed, are we allowed to do that? 
You know, they have on the five one more thing. Let's throw one more thing in here. So let's go to this Federalist article about George Soros, because this is fascinating, too, by Paul Sperry from a while ago. Again, be up in the show notes. Soros-funded PR shop constructing media echo chamber to push impeachment. Fascinating. Let's look at this little takeaway from the piece about how George Soros seems to have the exact same enemies as Glenn Simpson, who wrote about these people. So the Democracy Integrity Project is led by Dan Jones. The Democracy Integrity Project, which takes money from Soros, by the way, who worked for uh, Dianne Feinstein. It employs the key opposition research figures behind the salacious and unverified dossier. Fusion GPS co-founder Glenn Simpson and ex-British intelligence officer Christopher Steele. Its financial backers include actor-director Rob Reiner and billionaire activist George Soros. So Simpson writes back in 2007, Glenn Simpson, about Demetrio Furtash. Soros doesn't like Furtash. Allegations surfaced that Soros wants Furtash prosecuted in Ukraine. Conveniently, to hide Ukraine, an impeachment hoax develops against Trump, who's looking into what happened in Ukraine. We then find out that Soros, his one of his groups, is financing a Democrat staffer who's then paying Simpson and Steele and others to continue to look into the dossier. The same people had an interest in George Soros's business opponent and taking him down a while back. I don't know Furtash. I'm not vouching for Furtash. I'm just saying, you don't find that a little unusual that George Soros, whose money is clearly filtering down into the dossier project uh, funded by Hillary Clinton, the Soros team and others, that the same enemies of Soros are the enemies of this guy, Glenn Simpson, who put together the whole dossier with Steele. You don't find that even a little bit unusual? Crazy. Crazy how they're missing only the biggest story of our time. It was a movie script, folks. It was always a movie script. The old names were scratched out. Haley Barber, Bob Dole, those were the names in the 2007 article. Republicans, by the way. And they were replaced with Donald Trump and John McCain. It's really no more complicated than that. Outside of Manafort, none of these people had any attachment to the Trump campaign at all. It was all made up. Alpha Bank, the Manafort Black Ledger, it's all garbage. All right, let me get on to my last sponsor. And um, I want to talk about this video here in this article about the, t- the teachers unions. This is getting, and an email I got, I'm not going to mention uh, the teacher's name, but an email I got that's very important. So don't go anywhere. It's going to be an important segment. All right, finally, today's show brought to you by friends at Cars for Kids. Listen, if you have a car, it's taking up space sitting in your driveway and you're not using it and you're paying insurance on, I have a serious question for you. Why are you doing that? Get rid of it. Donate it to Cars for Kids. That's K-A-R-S, the number four kids. Cars for Kids. Many of you have heard the jingle. It's such a, it's a, everybody, you, you, you know, you know that you've heard it. On, it's, it's Paula's like laughing because she knows I can't jingle very well and I'm a terrible singer, but I enjoy it. It is the greatest jingle ever. You get a tax deduction and a vacation voucher. Here's how it works. Cars for Kids. <laughs> I'm, now I'm just doing it to thoroughly annoy my wife. <laughs> Cars for Kids makes the process of donating your car quick and easy. It takes about two minutes. They handle all the details, all the paperwork. They're really great. All you need to do is schedule a pickup and sign the title. Your car donation is fast and free, usually picked up within 24 hours and even at the same day. Cars for Kids will take your car, even if it's not running. Donating your car is tax deductible. Your tax deduction is based on the sale price of your car. 
Cars for Kids works hard to sell your car for the best price. It means more funds for their charity and a bigger tax deduction for you. And as a special thank you for donating your car, Cars for Kids gives you a vacation voucher good for a three-day and two-night hotel stay. With Cars for Kids, you get professional service, convenient pickup, a maximum tax deduction, that's big, a vacation voucher, and a good deed. Donate today at Cars for Kids. That's K-A-R-S, the number four, kids, K-I-D-S, dot org slash Bongino. That's Cars, K-A-R-S, the number four, kids.org. Cars4kids.org slash Bongino. Cars, the number four, kids.org slash Bongino. They give you the donation experience you deserve. deserve. Again, carsforkids.org slash Bongino. Go today. Good cause. You okay? You, man, you don't like my jingles, do you? I'm the t- <laughs> it's a good jingle. It is. It's addictive. I'm enjoying today's show. I love the Spygate stuff, and it only comes up once in a while. And today's a good opportunity. All right, so I read this article in the Wall Street Journal. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, this again, I can't say this enough. I don't want to keep repeating content, but I'm just, as a friendly reminder to the teachers unions out there, you are making a catastrophically awful decision trying to extort parents into making bad decisions by keeping their kids out of school. Terrible. Worst decision ever. Here's the journal article I'm talking about. School opening extortion. Teachers unions are using COVID-19 as a political weapon. Again, I can't think of a more disgusting thing to do. Now, before I get into this segment, I just want to be crystal clear. The teachers unions are totally disgracing themselves. Totally. It's, 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 it's beyond, it's disgusting. It's so gross right now that whoever's telling you this is a long-term strategy to get parents onto your side by extorting them and threatening to not teach their kids is so bad that you should have the political consultant who told you to do this arrested for political malpractice. Seriously. I don't know who you're, I told you an example of blue Deep blue Montgomery County in my former home state of Maryland, where liberal parents are losing their marbles over what's going on right now. Having said that, I can't be clearer. I can't be any clearer. This is not about the teachers. I get volumes of emails from teachers. One, she asked to remain nameless. I'm obviously not going to say her name, but sent me a very nice email. You know who you are saying, Dan, 80% of the teachers I talked to, just citing her email, 80% are dying to go back to school. They know how terrible this is. Some of them are afraid of losing their jobs and they are disgusted by what the teachers unions are doing. I say that because I'll still get an email once in a while thinking this is an attack on teachers. It is not. It's like, Joe, perfect example for you, right? Joe was in the radio business for a long time. There is a broadcaster's union. Some people have to join. I know people who had to join who hate being a part of that union. I'm just mm-hmm. saying, they've told me that. I don't know anything about them. I'm not in it. I'm not bad-mouthing. I'm just saying, I remember this conversation. I'm tired of paying these dues. I don't like these people. They're two different things. The broadcaster, the union. They're two separate things here. The teachers, Joe knows exactly what I'm talking about. The teachers oh, yeah. and the teachers union. This is not about the teachers. Not about, the unions are a disgrace. From the journal piece, this is a great line. Like whoever told them this was a good idea, the unions, we're not going to teach your kids and you're going to pay us more. (laughs) Good strategy there, folks. Quote, Wall Street Journal. The teachers unions have a cynical interest in forcing their competitors to shut down too. What a humiliation it would be if charter and private schools reopen and demonstrate that in-person education can be done with the right misc mitigation. 
Or if parents unsatisfied with the public school's response to the coronavirus decide a private school would be better for their child. Can you, can this get any worse? Can you imagine a worse scenario where the teachers now, the teachers unions don't want their teachers educating your kids in public schools, but they don't want their competitors in non-union charter schools open either because they don't want to be humiliated when the teachers open up and do it safely. That's right. Joe, I mean, Joe, I'm not kidding. Can you imagine a worse strategy? (laughs) I mean, I'm trying to think of like analogies here to make sense. How bizarre this is. It'd be like in Joe's old business. Listen, we don't like our radio audience. So what we're going to do is we're going to keep the show off the air for a month until advertisers start paying a higher rate. You'd be like, That's a good one. Yeah. is that it, right? We're not broadcasting anything until you come yeah, up with dude. higher CPMs for ads. You'd be like, who, who told you this was a good idea? Who told you this? This is, we're not teaching your kids until you pay us more. And by the way, if you try to send your kid to a competitor, we're going to shut them down too. They're making it even worse. You'd be like, we're not running a radio show to the advertisement. It's going to be nothing but white noise on the air. And by the way, we're boycotting our competitor. We're going to shut them down too. You can't even listen to them too. We're going to make sure they're off the air. Who told you this was a good strategy? Where did you get this? On what planet do you think this is going to work? I'm doing this fighting for the teacher. I'm not kidding. I love teachers. I always say, Miss Shortino. I don't even know if Miss Shortino is still alive. I love Miss Shortino. St. Pancras, my fourth grade teacher, she was great. She used to Mm -hmm. give me books I'd pretend to read. It was terrific. Mm -hmm. Poor lady, War of the Worlds. She gave me, what's what's the Call of the Wild with Buck and everything. She got, and I tell her I read them. I don't think she knew. She probably knew I didn't read them, but I just liked the free books. Swiss Family Robinson. But they were around, and eventually I picked them up and looked at them. I think. I actually read the Call of the Wild probably seven years later. But I loved Miss Shortino. She was great. Miss Gilfeather, I know she's passed. God rest her soul. She used to say, Dan, life's a bowl of cherries. Don't fall in the pits. It was genius. Maybe not Plato-like material, but it was genius when you're whatever, five years old. Who the hell knows how I I forget what year. No, that was fifth grade, so I was older. They were great teachers. Sister Ellen. Sister Ellen was a little mean in third grade. She wouldn't hesitate to give me the old her on the hand button. Listen, I learned a lot. I love teachers. I'm doing this in your best interest. I'm not kidding. You all are great. I read your emails. Your unions are failing you. They are destroying your brand. You have a brand. Everybody has a brand. I don't mean that in a mercenary capitalism sense. I mean, you need parents and you to be on the same team. And to be on the same team, your brand is selling the parents on the idea that you're producing value for their kids, is it not? That's what it is, right? We have a brand on this show. Joe had Joe said it, ironically, of all the marketing people I've ever paid, I swear on my life, we paid a lot of dough for marketing. To be, Joe said it best to me one time. He goes, Dan, our show is everything you need to know in an hour. That was it. Yeah. I loved it. I've never, <laughs> I, it's it. Joe, that was Joe, not me. I didn't make that up. Joe did. I, he got no bonus for that either. It's a damn shit. <laughs> this year, we'll have to give you a bonus. End of the year. Okay. But that was a, that's our brand. Facts and the stuff you need in an hour, little over an hour for your ride home. That's always been our brand. Teachers have a brand. Send your kids to us. We're going to teach them the skills they need to succeed in life. Your brand isn't don't dare send your kids to us as we extort you for more money. That's not your brand. 
Who's telling you that? That's not your brand. It's not good. <laughs> Paula's laughing. She's on now. She was mad at me after my jingle. Now, it was a great jingle. Now she's back on Team Bongino. This is great. Showing you how this is based on nothing, by the way. This we're going to keep your kids out of school until you pay us more. Here's the CDC director. This is a different clip from the one I played. It's the same guy, but different clip. This is Dr. Robert Redfield testifying in front of a committee saying, listen, I actually have a person in my family who's high risk and I want them back in school too. There is no science to back up your assertions that you should be extorting parents for more money, keeping their kids out of school. Listen to the CDC director himself. Check this out. I just want to reemphasize because I don't think I can emphasize it enough. As the director of the Centers for Disease Control, the leading public health agency in the world, it is in the public health interest of these K-12 students to get these schools back open for face-to-face -face learning. Mental health service, 7.1 million kids get it in school. Nutrition, we talked about. Reporting of child abuse, sexual abuse, mandatory in schools. The isolation that these uh, adolescents are feeling uh, that now is associated with increased, as you mentioned, increased drug overdose deaths and now over uh, increased suicides. I think it is really important. As a grandfather, 11 grandkids, I want these kids back in school. I have one grandchild with cystic fibrosis. I want it done smartly. All right, but I think we have to be honest that the public health interest of the students in this nation right now is to get a quality education in face-to-face -face learning, and we need to get on with it. Folks, you just heard it right there. It's really time for the liberal hack media, you know, the PP tape hoaxers, who, yeah, I know they're all about gaslighting and hiding Joe Biden and everything, get that. But you're really, you're sacrificing an entire generation of kids on the altar of liberal activism. It's time for you to start reporting on this and the disgrace that has become the teachers' unions, a total disgrace. It's time for you to tell the American people the scam that's really going. This is an extortion racket right now, based on no science whatsoever. All right, I teased this yesterday. I want to get to this, this tax article. It's important. I got about 10 minutes left in the show. This is a critical, important piece. Folks, you have an election coming up, obviously, Joe Biden. It's a binary choice at this point. Um, Biden's a disaster. We know that. We know he doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know he's running for president. But I wanted to focus on, for this election 2020 kind of part, part deux, section B block, how is he actually going to affect your wallet? Because there's some confusion. And here's where the story originates. I, I, my mother-in-law comes over a lot. We love her to death. And she's really a big Trump supporter. MAGA to the core, you know? And when I was explaining to her the things Biden and his Democrat allies have promised to do if he's elected, she was genuinely stunned to the point where we had to talk her out of like not emptying her retirement account. She was, I, I mean, I'm not trying. And then Paula was like mad at me. She's like, you're freaking out my mom. She's going to spend all night where I wasn't trying to worry your mom. I'm just trying to give you the facts so you understand what decision you're making, how critical this is if you're still up in the air. My, my mother-in-law is going to vote for Trump. It's not even a mystery. But there are some people out there who really believe that Biden is somehow going to be good for their wallets. And my question to you is, wh why do you believe that? Well, what has he told you that's going to be good for you, your wallet, and your business? Let me go to this Wall Street Journal article. And they lay out a whole bunch of taxes called Read Joe Biden's Lips. New taxes. More than $3 trillion in, $3 trillion, excuse me, in new levies on incomes, payrolls, and more. You are going to pay more if you're cool with that and you want to pay more, a lot more. Vote for Biden. That's your guy. I'm, I mean, I'm not messing with you. I'm not. I'm not trying to scam you. It's not a trick. If you like higher taxes and that's what you want for you and everyone else, vote for Joe Biden. 
Here they are. By the way, I'm just going to go through uh, four or five screenshots here. There's like 10 of them in that article. I'm just going through the, there's other taxes out there. In other words, he wants to hike that I'm not even including in the interest of time. Let's go to number one. I told you I'd talk about this yesterday. It's important. Individual income taxes. He's already promised to repeal the Trump taxes, the Trump tax cuts. So if you're a middle-class person, your income taxes are going to go up from 24 to 28%. Or if you're in the lower middle class, it's going to go up from 22 to 25. And the top marginal rate is going to go to 39.6 from 37. They're also going to repeal the $10,000 SALT deduction. So a lot of rich folks are going to get a nice little benefit. You want to pay more in taxes in the middle class? Vote for Biden. Your rate will go up. If you're paying 24%, you'll now pay 28, 3% more of your income. If you're paying 22, you'll pay 25. That's three, 3% more. One, two, three. If it was Joe Biden, one, two, three. If you're watching the YouTube, you'll get it. Counting toes next. You want to pay more? Vote for Biden. He's your guy. It's He said it. He's already, I'm going to repeal them. They're going to have a majority if they win. They'll do it lickety split. Number two, payroll taxes. You know, Social Security, the other stuff. He wants to apply the 12.4% Social Security tax to all incomes over 400000 with no cap. The current payroll tax comes, uh, comes off after $137,000 of income. Come back to me. This is important. People understand this. That Social Security tax isn't levied after a certain amount of income, $137,000. There's a reason for that. There's an old adage in Washington, D.C. You should memorize. You may not like it. It may not be cute. But everyone in D.C. knows what it is. And you know what that is? A program for the poor is a poor program. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. Remember mm-hmm. that? I know. I knew you. I, I was yeah. going to kind of say like, because I've said this before. I sure I've heard do. this from many people. Why is a program designed for the poor a poor program in Washington, D.C. parlance? Because um, to get mass consensus on an issue, Social Security, Medicare, whatever you need to pass a program, people want to feel. Like, yes, it's helping people who are poor, but you have to earn it. You may not like that. You may be a liberal and you may feel like nobody should have to earn anything. I don't care. I'm telling you to get the United States in mass to back a program, Social Security, they want to feel like people have to earn it. The idea with Social Security is after $137,000, the rest is just redistributed money and you're just paying for other people's retirement income. So in order to make Social Security feel like an earned benefit, because you're not going to get that much from it. You're, the earnings you could be taxed on were capped. Because anything taxed above that, you weren't getting back and it would be redistribute, redistributed. You get it? No one wants to pay for a retirement fund for someone else. That's why they capped it. They're blowing that cap out. Which will make it a poor program because it'll be a program for the poor. Believe me, once rich liberals catch on to the fact that they're paying to finance other people's retirements... I don't care what they tell you about compassion in it for the little guy, dreaded air quotes. That's going to go away tomorrow. A program for the poor is a poor program. You want to destroy social security? Take out the cap tomorrow. Watch all the rich liberals panic. Tax number three, which is about to uh, go up. So your social security tax are going to go through the roof. Your income taxes are going to get hiked dramatically. Capital gains. If you're earning more than a million, they're going to tax capital gains and dividends as regular income. At a new top rate of 39.6%. That's double the current rate. Capital gains haven't been taxed as bad since the 1970s. You may say, ah, Dan, that doesn't matter to me. I'm middle class. I don't care if rich people get taxed on their stock earnings at double the rates they are now. You don't. 
Well, that's really dumb because you clearly haven't thought any of this through. You have a pension? You have a 401k? Why are those stocks worth something? They're worth what they're worth because other people are willing to buy them for their amount, right? You can't tell me you have a baseball card worth a million dollars when you only have one buyer who's willing to pay 10, right? The baseball card's worth what your only buyer's willing to pay for. My house right. is worth $600,000. You have no offers for seven years. The only offer you have is 200000 You know what your house is worth? 200000 Now you've got a bunch of rich folks who are now paying double the tax on their stocks they paid before, meaning their earnings on those stocks are going to go down, meaning those stocks to them are worth less. So when your pension tries to cash those stocks out, all those rich people who are going to buy them up are only going to buy that many fewer stocks because they don't have as much money, meaning you don't either. Oh, it's not going to affect me. That's the rich idiots. Good luck with that one. You clearly haven't taken an economics class. Those air quotes, rich idiots are the ones buying the stocks from you, keeping the valuations high. Uh, yeah. Uh. Number four. This one's a doozy. I told you about this the other day. So Ron Wyden, the ranking Democrat, suggesting taxing unrealized gains before the investor sells using a mark-to-market scheme. Folks, I talked about this. This freaked my mother-in-law out. Ron Wyden is a prominent Democrat in the Senate that is actually talking, if they get in charge and take power, about taxing stocks you haven't even sold. By the way, no refunds if you lose money on the stocks. You haven't even sold them. You understand what I'm saying, right? You bought a stock 15 years ago on IBM. It's up 100%. You bought it at whatever. At 50, it's worth 100. You haven't mm -hmm. sold it. You're going to have to pay taxes on the gains you don't even have. You haven't sold the stock unrealized gains. It's right there in the Wall Street Journal. That's a real doozy coming down the pipeline. Good job, Joe. Well done. Anyone got Biden on the record about that? You're going to start taxing unreal? You want to crash the stock market tomorrow? One last one and we'll rock and roll for the day here. You want a business? There you go. Your corporate tax is going back up again. Your business is going to be taxed at the new rate of 28% from 21%. To see how this compares globally, add America's state taxes on corporate income, 8.8% in California, 9.5% in Illinois. And last year, the European Union's average top rate for businesses was 21.8%. Don't be surprised if U.S. companies all return to the pre-Trump pattern of moving their headquarters overseas. You like that? So your income taxes are going up. Your payroll taxes are going up. Your, your taxes on your stock gains are going to go up. Your taxes on your stock gains you don't even have are going to go up. And if you own a business, it's about to go overseas where the tax rates are going to become dramatically more competitive as your business taxes go up too. Sounds like a real winner. Can't wait to vote in 2020. If you love the sound of that, Joey B is definitely your guy. 100%. You can only hope he will forget these tax plans when he gets into office and not remember. That's your only hope right now, that he won't remember actually discussing the stuff I just told you about. That's your only hope to save your wallet. I'm very sorry. All right, folks, thanks again for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and at youtube.com slash Bongino. I'd like to get to a million now. That's a bold goal. We're at 500,000 subscribers on YouTube. Let's get to a million, youtube.com slash Bongino. I really appreciate it. We put a lot of work into the video show. We appreciate your support. Thanks again. See you all tomorrow. You just heard Dan Bongino.